is a Woodside Church podcast. Good morning. Good morning. Before I get into the heavy, meaty part of the Bible, I'm going to do a little game. I don't usually do that. And it's not, not an all, all-age service either. But there's chocolate available. So I'm gonna, if you've got a phone that you can, on notes, if you've got notes on your phone, I'm going to ask you a question in a second, and then I'm giving you 30 seconds to do it. The question I'm going to ask you is, can you write a list on your phone, or if you've got pen and paper, fine, of as many characters in the Bible you can in 30 seconds? I'll let you start now. Stop writing. 30, I know, I know. I'm not expecting you to write 100. Has anybody... Put your hands up if you've got more than five in that time. Oh, not, ma- not many. Uh, any more, more than seven? More than nine? More than 11? 12? 13? You're joking me. 14? No, that's not true. 15, 16, 17? 16? 15? Se- You're a liar. <laughs> um, Mum, how many did you get? 15. And you got 15. Perfect. You can all three have a prize. And I'll trust you that they're real names in the Bible, not just Gordon. Or they go, oh, right, there we go. Yes, they are. Zebedee. Who would have thought of Zebedee? There you go. Okay. Here we go. What have you got? Who's that? Reuben. Oh, Reuben. Lovely. Okay, 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 okay. Okie dokie. Right, I'm surprised that someone got 17. I honestly didn't think anyone would get past 10 in that time, but that is impressive. Fast writing. Um, in, a, in a second, you realise why I did that almost pointless... Well, it was a pointless game, <laughs> to be honest. Um, so I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I will start the message, and when, you get to the bite, when we get to Exodus in a few seconds, you'll see why I did that. So, a few years ago, I worked at Bedford Hospital as, as a carer. It had a posh name, but effectively I was a carer. And in that time, one of my t- I worked in a care for the elderly ward, which went, meant one of my main tasks was to clean bodies after people had died. Um, at, at first, it was a little bit odd, but then it became just, just part of the job. You just did that. And, and I didn't think much of it near the end. But at the beginning, I, I was very surprised because what I expected that, that would be like was, is not what I expected at all. So I would stand behind. I would, they would pull the curtain around the person that had deceased. We would go in and clean the patient before the family came and said their goodbyes. But I don't, I don't know what I expected. I don't know if I expected... Silence, maybe? A few minutes of silence. I don't know if I expected the clock to stop ticking. I don't know if I thought... I don't know. I don't know what I expected in that moment. I think maybe I was standing... Stand, like, people stand up and clap for a life well lived. But, but I could still hear call bells. 
I was cleaning the patient. I'd hear old, old, older elderly people saying, "Yes, I need the toilet," and I'd still hear the buzzing of the, the continual buzzing of the call bells. I would, still, I would still hear the nurses' shoes squeaking on the floor as they rushed to the patients to give them medication. I could still hear the catering trolley clanging its way up the corridor. Nothing stopped. Nothing stopped. And and the odd thing is, and maybe the sobering thought is that for a lot of us, that will, that will be what it's like. Maybe a couple of family members around our bed, and you're gone, and everything carries on. Just carries on. And it's sobering. We're, we've been going through a series called In the Wilderness, and, and it's felt like we've been going, on, going through this series for a long time, which is pretty appropriate for the story. We've been doing this story for a long time, learning all about God and God's people, and the story is basically God saving people from, a, from slavery in Egypt, bringing them on this journey that really should have taken two months but took 40 years because they were going in circles and circles and circles. And they learned a lot of things about God in that wilderness. And we're getting to a bit in the scripture now where effectively God doesn't want to wait anymore to be... The, the Bible talks a lot about God's middle plan was a temple. His ultimate goal was Jesus. He was the the fulfillment of the temple. But before the temple, in the wilderness, God God wanted to be with his people. He wanted to shape the people to be. They're his people. He's their God. So he made effectively a temporary temple called a tabernacle. 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 Which is effectively a tent tent version of the temple. A tentle. so that's, this is the story we're going to read now. I'm going to read it. It's going to seem, it's one of those things you're thinking, it's, it sounds quite dull. It's one of those bits in the Bible you would read in your quiet time maybe, and you'll skip past it because it's, it's not high octane. But I'm going to read it. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. Behold, I've appointed with him Aholiab, son of, I can't say this name, so just say it wrong confidently, Ahishmak, of the tribe of Dan, and I've given given to, to him all able men, and they may make the, that they may make all that I've commanded you, the, test, the tent of meeting, the ark of testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, the pure lampstand with, with its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offerings with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand." And the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments for his sons, and their service as priests, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense for the holy place, according to all I have commanded you, they shall do. Did any of you write Bezalel on your list? You did not. Oh, you said it, okay. Did you, did you write a Holiab? No, I thought, I thought if anyone gets Bezalel, they would not get a Holiab. The thing is, Bezalel was also men- mentioned in one Chronicles, so there was a chance he might get him because he's mentioned twice. A Holiab's mentioned once. And let, then there's uh, this unspecified 
all the skilled workers. And today, to be honest, the place I'm going to spend most of the time on is all the skilled workers. No names, just skilled workers. And the reason I'm staying there is because the truth is, most of us are all the skilled workers. Most of us will never be a Moses. Most of us will never be a Paul or a name of stature. Most of us are just are Christians and skilled in our areas, and we are unnamed. We're just skilled workers. When we see, when we, most of us, when we die, our families and friends will care, but life will continue. Sorry, that was not. I know it's, it's not a motivational speech. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but but that that is the point. It, it's a very it's a hard pill to swallow that that's the case because we live in a culture that says you're great, you can do anything you want to do, you can be who you want to be. You, you can't. You can sometimes, but really, it's not our decision to be what we want to be. The Bible says we can make our decisions, but it's God that determines what the, the court, our course. The exact words are, the heart of the man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We can, we can dream for things, but God's plan for your life may look different to the plan that you'd set out for your own life. And that's okay. In fact, it's more than okay. It's good and it's better. It's better. It might not look as exuberant or as, as high octane, but what he has for you is the most fruitful way you could live the life. Quite a few years ago, my, well, no, I can't remember which one child it was, maybe Obi, it's sort of thing Obi would say. Um, I asked him, what do you want to do when you're older? A silly question for a four-year-old at the time. And he said, um, yeah, I want to be a kangaroo. <laughs> so obviously I naturally passed him to Rachel and said, you, you clean that one up. Um, <laughs> it's not going to happen, sorry. Um, but that, but we, we won't be a kangaroo, but God has a plan for us, and it may not be what we want, and, and that's okay. A guy called Michael Horton, he's an author of a book called Ordinary, which I really recommend, it's a fantastic book, said, who wants to be that ordinary person who lives in an ordinary town, is a member of an ordinary church, and has ordinary friends and works an ordinary job? Our lives have to count, we have to leave our mark, have to have a legacy and make a difference. See, we live in a, 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 a culture of individualism, a culture that says it's about you. Everyone, every, we Westerners live in a culture of individualism, and we also live in a culture of celebrity. The, those two mixed together is very dangerous. The celebrities, you are, your life is only, only useful if, you're, if you are known for something. And, it's in, and the individual element, you will change it on your own. Though that mix of those two are highly, highly toxic and dangerous. But actually, if I can find it, it's in one of my pockets. Actually, the Christian life is... We, we talk, when I was younger, when I was younger, I'm going to show you a clip at this point, and then I'll, I'll carry on. You show the clip I'm talking about. It's only about 20 seconds, so I'll stay. If you can find it, can we do a video?
remember that? Yes. 2004, I went to a conference or a camp that had that exact song. It would have looked exactly like that. And we were told that we were going to be the dancing generation. I don't dance, so that was going to be a tall order. <laughs> we were, we were, no, I didn't even dance at my wedding, no line. Um, we are also told we were going to be the revival generation. The revival generation. Maybe I thought, maybe I'll be like Moses, leading a horde into the kingdom of God. Or maybe, maybe I'll be like Paul, and in, 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 like blessing loads and loads of churches. Maybe one of the huge champions of faith. Maybe I'll be a Gideon-type character. I don't know. The revival generation. I'm going to bring a revival. And then I went out with my fire held high, going for it. And then I realised, uh, it's just me. Just me. And because I didn't understand... I thought this revival was the golden bullet. This, is gonna, this moment is what my life is about, a moment. Life is not never about a moment. Never about a moment. In fact, people that I know in this room who have been through times like that, something called the Toronto Blessing, people that have experienced things, amazing moves of God, weren't happy that life finished. They wouldn't want it to finish because they realised it wasn't about the Toronto Blessing, it was about a life. And that was an amazing time but it's never about a moment. In fact, life is more like this. It's more like the Christian who lives a normal, normal life. Sorry, inverted commas, I'll explain what I mean by that soon. But a normal life, and as you walk through, I'll, I'll hoover, I promise. As, as you live your life, as you're kind to people, as you're gracious to people, as you forgive people, as you're honest at work, as you're kind to your neighbours... As you love everyone that's around you, this is what Christian life is like. And seed everywhere. But, but people get upset because there wasn't, there was, maybe they didn't see hordes saved. In fact, the last person I spoke told about Jesus, no word of a lie the next day and became a Muslim. <laughs> great, great. Did that, obviously did it wrong. Obviously did it wrong. I'm sure I said Jesus. But anyway, anyway... <laughs> <laughs> but, but this is what life is like sometimes it's great sometimes we see amazing things shoot up straight away sometimes people get saved as you've had a conversation with them but probably more often than not we don't see much there and then because as we live our lives as Christians it's a bit like walking acres of land and we think where's the fruit where's the fruit that I'm living I've done all this stuff for God where is the fruit but for every year you're living, it's like another acre of land. And you can't see what happened in acre one and acre seven. You can't see back that far. We don't know what fruit's going to come, and often we won't see it. Nearly most of the time we won't see the fruit. And that's why measuring your life on fruitfulness is, is actually a bad measure. Because you can't see half of the fruit. And the other thing is, God doesn't reward us for fruit. He doesn't. He rewards us for sowing. The fruit is his job. He's the one that makes things grow up. He's the one that brings change in someone's heart. Our job is to sow the seed and just say, just say God, I've, done, I've lived the life, a normal life for you, and I hope you do something with it. That's, that's our call. I, might, I probably will never be known. I will probably never write a book about me. There will never be a book written about me. I'll probably never be a Catherine Coleman or a Billy Graham, but that's all right. Same all of us, that's all right, to live a normal, faithful life, 
to be one of the skilled workers that's unnamed. Because the kingdom is built on unnamed people. This church is built on unnamed people. It's not built on Martin Tibbet. No offence, Martin, you, well, you would agree. He's talking like he's God. You would agree. <laughs> but it's, it's not. Church is not built. It's not built on a leader. It's built on all the skilled workers, on us. But the only way the kingdom can come is us. In, in normal jobs, doing normal things, loving people normally. Being like, in this story that we read, utensil builders. There, there were people who were making the Ark of the Covenant. There were class, class skilled people carving the gold, but there was also people carving a cup. The cup looked good. It looked good, but they, well, it didn't look like the Ark of the Covenant. But God calls people for different things, and together, as, as his kingdom comes, as our little bits come together, and then, then it becomes glorious. Then it's glorious. We can do something great, but glorious is a team effort. The disciples said this to Jesus. After they, Jesus had given them the commission to go and preach, preach to people, um, um, cast demons out, heal the sick, and they did this. And they came back, and it says this. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. Do not, um, and Jesus says, Do not rejoice that spirits submitted to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Your name might never be known here. Probably won't. And I know that because I spend a lot of time praying in, in, a, in Bedford Park Graveyard. Lots of names I've never heard of. Every name. Every name. But when I look at the thou, literally thousands of graves, I think there are thousands of people here who are with Jesus. And he knew, knows every single one of them. And we, what we rejoice in is even if people don't know us, the person that counts knows us. And he's, and he's got us. And he's holding us tight. And we have a future with him. Verse 2 says this. See, oh, by the way, this talk is going to be shorter today because I, I, I want to write a, write a proper talk, and a long talk, and God told me that I wasn't allowed to. He wouldn't let me move from this. It was the hardest talk I've ever written. I spent literally four hours hitting a, a brick wall, not moving, and I felt God say, because I just want you to sit here. So that's why I'm staying here today. Verse 2 says, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, tribe of Judah, and I filled him with the Spirit of God. What... It's worth saying that no Christian can really live an ordinary life without the Spirit of God. You can't. It's not, it's not oh, okay, then I'll just do what everyone else does. No, 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 no. The Bible makes it clear that our strength and the way we can live fruitfully is by being filled with the Spirit of God. So every Christian, regardless of if it's a, a normal life, requires the Holy Spirit. With wisdom and understanding, with knowledge and all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for working gold, silver and bronze to cut and set stones, to work in wood and engage in all kinds of crafts. Jesus has a very striking resemblance to this Bezalel guy. Very striking. The Bible says he was filled with wisdom and understanding. Same thing it says about this guy. He was from the tribe of Judah. Same thing about Jesus. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. He was a carpenter. So many similarities between Bezalel and Jesus. And the strange thing is that we, we often forget is actually we only know 10% of Jesus' life. All we know is those roughly three years at the end. But he was 33. So 30 years of his life, we have no idea what he did. And I think that's good. Because he had to be a full human. 
He had to live a normal job as a carpenter. He had to get splinters like everybody else. He had to get up early for work like everybody else. He fully lived the humanity for 30 years. None of it's recorded. Because he wanted to totally empathise and understand and, and live with what we have to live with every day. He had to be us, fully. It's good that Jesus lived a, a normal upbringing. It's fantastic. It's amazing. I'm going to show a clip now. It's, it's a few minutes long, but I think it's the best way I can describe the temple. So do you want to show the second video and I'll sit down because it's a few minutes longer. If you could go back to the city of Jerusalem during Bible times, the biggest thing you'd see is the temple. This beautiful building was designed by King David and built by King Solomon, and they believed that it was the home of the God of the universe. Wait, I thought God's home was in heaven. Well, the whole point of this earthly temple is that it's the place that overlaps with God's heavenly home. The temple is where God lives and rules all creation as king. That's cool, but... Even Solomon, who built the temple, didn't believe that it could contain the God of the universe, right? Yeah. The building was just a symbol, and it pointed to the fact that all of creation is God's temple. And that's actually what the first page of the Bible, Genesis 1, is all about. Really? It says that creation is God's temple? Well, it doesn't need to say it. The whole story shows it. In Genesis 1, God creates an ordered world out of a dark wasteland by speaking in a series of seven days. Then on the seventh day, God's presence fills creation as he takes up his rest and rule. Similarly, the tabernacle and later the temple were built and dedicated in a series of seven speeches and seven days, after which the priest or king could rest and rule in God's presence. Ah, so all of creation is where God intends to dwell. It's like his temple. Exactly. Now, turn the page to Genesis 2 and we get another portrait of creation. This one focuses in on the land. And in the center of the land is a region called Eden, which in Hebrew means delight. And in the middle of delight, God plants a garden in which God and humanity live together. And that's why the temple was modeled after the garden, filled with imagery of gold and flowers. The menorah symbolized the tree of life. It's the place where God dwells with his people. Oh, got it. And check this out. In the temple, the Israelite priests and Levites were to work and to keep the temple in God's presence. This is exactly the job description given to humanity in the Garden of Eden. So these humans were the first priests. But instead of ruling with God, they wanted to rule on their own terms, and they're exiled from the Garden Temple. And like Adam and Eve, Israel's leaders also wanted to rule on their own terms, and they too were exiled. The temple was destroyed, and this left them wondering, did God give up on Israel? Will God bring about a new creation? Well, the biblical prophets anticipated the day when God would create a new temple with a new priesthood. That's when God's presence would fill all of creation. And when the Israelites returned to the land, they did rebuild the temple. But that temple didn't turn out the way the prophets hoped. In fact, later Israelite prophets said that this temple was hopelessly corrupt. So they're still waiting for the ultimate temple. And here we come to the story of Jesus. He said that through him, God's presence and rule was coming into our world in a new way. And he presented himself as a new kind of priest. But Jesus wasn't a priest, and he didn't work in the temple. Right. Jesus said that God's presence, his rest and rule, was filling the world through his own life, 
death, and resurrection. Jesus was claiming that he was the true temple, and this new temple would expand out to include all of creation. That's a really big claim. And it got even bigger. After his resurrection, Jesus said that God's presence would come to dwell in and among his followers so that they would become mini temples. Communities of people where God rests and rules. Exactly. This is the Bible's vision of the church, which is described as a temple. Not a building, but people. Yeah, like when Peter says, you all are living stones built up as a temple for God's spirit to dwell. So at the end of the story, Do we ever get a new physical temple? Well, not exactly. What we see is a renewed cosmic temple, just like Genesis 1. And this new creation doesn't need a temple building because through Jesus, all creation is now the place where God rests and rules the world with his people. Right. So we are the temple. We, not this. We are the temple. And what we've got to bring and contribute to the world is like a piece of gold, a beautiful cup or a beautiful ornament in the temple to shine to the world. Because what the reason it had to look like that was because that's effectively how kings lived. And they had to communicate that the king lives here. That's why it was all gold. The king lived there. And that's why our lives... We want people to see in us Jesus from loving our next door na- literal neighbours, from doing normal things. We want people to see that the king lives here. I remember Colin Matthews, sorry Colin, I've realised I had not asked to say this, but it's a good story. He, um, Colin Matthews was an IT teacher and I, I, he used to do this thing where at the end of his summer holiday, before the summer holidays or the Christmas, you write the little song? The song, the song, you know your fun song before summer. So Colin would write a jokey song about every member of staff, and he would sing it with the staff. The staff team would look forward to this moment when Colin brings his song out. It, it, it sounds fun and funny, but when you hear the reason he did it, you realise that, that was kingdom. So he was playing this song because he knew teachers were exhausted, frustrated. Often there was problem between the teachers, and he wanted to bring a bit of fun and a bit of happiness into that environment. That's a, that, that is a story. That's kingdom. Very normal thing. Didn't necessarily preach the gospel, but he, he, showed, he showed the temple in the way he lived his life. I'm going to finish with a story about a lady that meant a lot to me. She's, she's, she's died. She's, she was a lady. A lot of you won't know her because a lot of you have joined in the last three, four years. But her name was Shirley Dixon. And Shirley was a, a very special lady. She was a lot of fun. She was cheeky. She would block the door. She was about 82, I think, 82, 83. But she was a bundle of life. And she would block the door for me and say, you can't get past me until you promise to give me a kiss on the cheek. So I'd have to give her a kiss on the cheek, then she would let me go. She once invited me to her house to clean her windows, but really she just wanted to be generous to me, and I did a shoddy job. She knew it and I knew it. It was terrible, terrible window cleaning. But, but she, she gave me an amount of money that any real professional window cleaner would have envied. She was, gen- she was highly generous, highly caring. She would serve in our playgroup called Play People. And even, even in her last days, 82, 83, with all the other kids' work workers, all the other Play People staff were like, 
20, 30, with young children themselves. But she was the oldest person there. And she would sit on the side, just in the corner there, and she would hold people's babies that were single, often single mums. And there was, I happened to notice there was often a gathering of single mums around Shirley. Four or five mums would sort of stand nearby her, and she would often take their baby, look after the baby. They would have a few minutes of breathing. And when she died... I know this because Rachel had played purple at this point. When she died, those mums were de- devastated and would cry. Shirley probably never knew the di- difference she made. She probably didn't know. And that story is a very normal story of somebody bringing the kingdom in a very normal way. Very normal. But she was amazing. She was amazing. And she showed the glory of the temple in, her, in the way she lived her life. And the, the punchline to that story is that there is no punchline. There is no mass revival. There is no everyone became a Christian the following week. I don't know. I don't know if anyone became a Christian. But I know she brought the kingdom in that environment. And I know she sowed seed that it's up to God to do with as he wills. And that's what most of us, that's what kingdom looks like to most of us. Just normal stuff. We do, I believe in the miraculous. I've seen it. I believe in the supernatural. I believe people can become Christians. I've seen all of it, as many of you have as well. I'm not denying the existence of the miraculous and the supernatural. We we are a church who believe that and want it. But there are people in this room that live the kingdom every day. Ruth Byfield the other day had a house party on a street on the um, Golden Jubilee celebration. I saw her there sitting down with 30 or 40 people. And I said to her, how was it? And she said, it was great, but no one got saved. I was like, who thinks like that? A Jubilee celebration. But Ruth, but Ruth lives with this belief that, you know what, I'm bringing the kingdom in the normal, but I'm also expecting God could do something different. And if he doesn't do it, I'm going to pray he does it. And if he doesn't do it, I'm going to be content with my lot. That's what Christian life is. about Walking this balance of very normal, but believing God can do things supernatural at the same time. 1 Thessalonians says this, And make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. The Bible tells us to to desire to lead a quiet life and to win the respect. Not the salvation, not the mass revivals, respect from outsiders as they see your life lived differently. That's the Christian life. Maybe some of you are like me and have been disillusioned by being told you were going to bring a revival and then actually you realise everything's the same. I'm the normal, I'm the normal guy. Maybe you, you're coming to the, near the end of your life and you think, what have I actually done with my life? You may not have a golden bullet. You may not have something you can say, oh, I did this. But your life counts. Our lives count. It's mostly seed sowing. A lot of it we won't see. But God will do something with your life incredible that you may never know about. Abraham lived his life and was told all this, you're going to be a father of Israel. He didn't even see it. These people came after he had gone. Shirley didn't see that group of people crying. They cried after she had gone. But our lives count. The normal matters. And living the way that God wants us to live. Normally, but believing him for more, is the life of a Christian. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray, Father, would you, would you sow that seed in our hearts, Lord Jesus, to to be grateful for the ordinary, for be happy to live and content to live a godly life in a normal world. And Lord, we say, would you, would you grow some of those seeds that we've sown? 
would you bring to life some of those things we've done, Lord Jesus? Thank you so much that, um, that I can be beautiful on my own, but it takes a team effort to be glorious. Would, your tem- would your, this, this group of people, like this group of people here, would we reflect you well together, Lord Jesus? And for those who aren't coming to church, I pray, Lord Jesus, would you convince them of the, the importance of this, this temple? Would you do your work in us, we pray? Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Thank you very much. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.